Hello? <laughs> oh, is anybody there? Hello? Oh, hello. Oh, I hope this is working. Oh my God. Oh my God. It's quite say. stressful, isn't it, having to get the technology working? Look, in, uh, look, let's just, gosh, let's just send us a message if you can see us because um, that would be a handy tip-off because seriously, much of the afternoon we've been faffing around and things haven't been working and then suddenly, inexplicably, audio hasn't worked and it's given us this really large, gaping, yawning glimpse of just how annoying it is when things don't work. <laughs> and, and everyone's just, saying yes, they can see us, which is good. I think, I mean, uh, I'm sure this is something that a lot of people would relate to, and I know that you are having this issue, which is my brain for learning new technology at the moment, I gone. am fried. See you later. Things to do with my job and the homeschooling stuff. Um, oh. I just can't do it. In fact, I sort of I felt a bit bad earlier this week because I had to do a live cross in the afternoon to Richard Glover's radio show. Yeah. And Emily, my producer, very nicely said to me, "Look, they're just wondering if you could please download this app because it'll make you." And before she could barely <laughs> even get it out, I was like, "I'm not. No, no apps. I'm not downloading any apps." <laughs> I'll be doing it in haiku form, <laughs> written, uh, submitted by means of postcards, uh, carried by a pigeon. <laughs> I can't exactly. do anything better than that. Exactly right. Yeah, I'm just at full capacity on on that stuff. I've just got to that point where I've just, you know, where you're just, it's a combination between irritability and hysteria. Yeah. Where you just think, I'm actually going to, I'm gonna, I'm gonna go mad and start breaking stuff, and and it's just sort of, and you know, Zoom. Something weird starts happening with Zoom where sometimes my audio. I'm just not audible and I can't fix it and it's just sort of like what, what do you do I mean like at least it's like modern cars you know with old cars you used to be able to like bang the alternator or whatever and um and then you know you'd be half a chance of getting it to work but a modern car because it's all run by a computer it's just like I'm sorry you have to speak German or you know Taiwanese from the Taiwanese too God, hard. I, I also had one the other day where so the kids each had some different app and it was oh, it was just a million things to get sorted. Yeah. And yeah. Um, I felt like I was under time pressure because the more I was taking to do that, the less time I've got for my job. And um, anyway, one of the kids was speaking and I said something like, just, uh, I need silence or I'm going to throw this at the wall. <laughs> and, and the kids went, really? Are you really? <laughs> and of course, then, like on top of my technical frustration, then you've got to like dial it down like, oh, no, oh, mummy's joking. <laughs> Mummy would never do anything so deranged. <laughs> Look how large my glass of wine is, by the way. Because Jeremy, we had a bit of a, um, you know, 7.27 p.m. We'll just check that that stuff that we adjusted earlier still works, and it didn't. And so we we're charging around like panicking rhinos. We were a crash of rhinos here in the kitchen. And um, then um, it sort of finally worked, and then Jeremy just silently came over and like pour another liter of wine into my glass like thank you darling thank you very much my my theory is you know that this kind of absurd you know having to get across in a very short space of time technology um that you you weren't earlier familiar with and look all of this is all of course you know recognizing that you know both of us are extremely lucky to have jobs and mm. to be able to do them to some extent from home. I mean, you do um, 
you know, quite a bit of your day from home before you go on camera, but like it involves having to rig up all sorts of things that you normally had an obliging person to do for you. Um, but um, I think that this sort of um, exhaustion and, and fatigue from learning all this new stuff, I think that that is what is driving this berserk baking thing where people are just going nuts, you know, making bread and doing things like, because in a way, putting flour and yeast, if you can get it, and um, water together and having it kind of rise and do stuff. I mean, it, it, there's a level of predictability there that isn't always there in the technological world. You know what I mean? Agree. It's, it's very soothing. It's something to do with, um, I think it's to do with control and certainty. Um, <laughs> I might have said this last part, I can't remember, but one of the things when I was researching Any Ordinary Day that I learned is that human beings do not like uncertainty. Um, yeah, and at the moment we're living with a huge amount of uncertainty about how long is this going to go, when's it going to end. But one thing, you know, you know, if you beat together um, butter and sugar, it's going to do a certain thing. And if you add an egg, an egg and then some flour and then you stick that in the oven, that's going to turn into a cake because um, it will obey the laws of physics. So um, that's really good. It's funny, a friend made me a um, playlist that I was listening to on my walk this morning or yesterday morning. And um, one of the um, songs was um, a piece of bark. And I don't, I don't normally find bark, most bark, very emotional. And I teared up straight away and I was thinking, wow, what yeah. buttons is that pushing? And it's, I think it's because bark is very ordered and it really just fits together absolutely beautifully. And so I think it just right. pushed some need. In a chaotic world, I think it just pushed some sort of need for order. But I don't know, like, what have you been... Like, I, I just think my current behaviour is really strange, but like, what have you been doing? Uh, I've been doing uh, just an insane amount of baking. I mean, really, it's got now to a stupid point. Um, do you want to see what I made this afternoon? Yes. This is actually after um, after the upsetting tech test. I made this. What is that? It's a um, it's brioche monkey bread. Did many monkeys have to die for the making of it? Or? A lot of monkeys gave their testicles. <laughs> So what it is? Well, so I made a um, uh, I made a, a brioche dough batch, mm -hmm. which is just like bread dough with some butter and an egg kind of like kneaded into it. And then I did the rise, and then I um, chopped it up into a bunch of little balls. And each of the little balls I rolled in some melted butter, and then um, something else like sesame seeds or um, uh, smoked paprika or some grated parmesan and then I stuffed them all into a little tin and then rose them again and baked them. So now you can just like pull off a little ball and a little... Delicious. Yes. Very good. Very good. Know, it's quite exciting, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> anyway, that is my latest piece of demented baking. Um, I went to a shop and found some yeast yesterday, so I've got a new lease of life. Oh, there you go. Yeah. Everyone else has got their sourdough starters on the go, I think. Right, yeah. Well, I don't, yeah. I've, um, I've never had enough um, attention span to deal with um, sourdough. I always start off with great intentions and then, you know, six months later it's found in the back of the fridge as a sort of horrible mess. Do you know I've, I've never made a loaf of bread in my life? Really? No. That seems like, I know you've been doing a huge amount of cooking today though. Oh, I know you I just, it's weird, you know, because I think... For some reason, I feel 
really brain dead at the moment. Like I've got no capacity for anything that's not my job. I feel like it's taking all of my energy to do 7.30. So yeah. I'm not consuming a lot of culture. And then like say, for example, today was a day that I had to myself. Um, my boys are with their dad. And so I had a whole day to myself. And I just thought to myself before, what have you done today? <laughs> I'm doing a lot of like have, having music on staring into space, doing a little dance, thinking, oh, that's a good drum rhythm, and then sitting there for an hour, like, tapping it on the table, and then going, oh, an hour's passed, I'd better do something. <laughs> just, I'm so brain dead. Anyway, so, I made a, a fish pie, is the one productive I, thing I did. Brain dead and fish pie do not, like, exist on the same level, as far as I know. Um, but is it possible that, because all these people, I noticed, like, over the last couple of days, are posting pictures of themselves when they were 20. Yeah, why is that right? You're basically just acting like you are 20. You're just dancing around the house like an idiot. And, <laughs> but also making a quite a complicated fish pie, which is probably Every household same. job you can stretch out to about triple its time if you do it with music, because you just have to dance the entire time, So, which is fun, but it just means everything's very, very slow to get done. Um, um, I, so I do have a good segue, and um, the reason I've been kind of looking down and going, is I'm um, doing another technical, um, exciting thing, mm. and I'm introducing our first ever live stream guest. Oh, okay. Yes. Um, so, um, now, um, exciting news from Gwen is that she has designed some new merch, oh, which yeah. I was going to have next awesome. to me, and of course I have sodding put down somewhere else. Oh, no, I've got uh, some. Second. I'll I show can... them. I'll show them. It's some cards. Oops. Yeah. It's some cards that Gwen has made. Yeah, because now everyone's having to write to each other, Gwen has uh, designed a bunch of Chat 10 Look 3 cards, and they range from lovely, is that back to front probably is, I think it'll be okay to, um, I'm here for you bef <laughs> until 9pm. <laughs> That's my favourite. I also yeah, like this one, um, you, hang on, you suck less than people think. Yeah. <laughs> and there's quite a booby one that's just got cabbages in a kind of very suggestive boob location. Um, I, know, I know I sound like I'm just being a merch blogger, but can I just say, I, I am constantly blown away by Gwen's cleverness. She She's blows ridiculous. My mind. Also, it's got this thing around it that like holds it together, this little band, which yeah. is actually... This piece of packaging is impregnated with seeds. If you she's imperfect. She's she's personally impregnated <laughs> as well. Every single one of them. If you plant and water it, you should grow some white, blue, or pink Swan River daisies. And so it's got these things on the back that you chop up and supposedly plant. I mean, I'm Gwen. I've got to tell you, I'm a little sceptical about this. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. Sales is this just some doesn't buy it. Shameful marketing ploy to yeah, get people to buy and plant. I mean, I just yeah. I find this very hard to believe, Gwenny. Yeah, basically you're going to have to get Costa back into your back garden again to <laughs> revive your wildflowers. But and also the gags, thing, sorry, I was going to say the gags, you could send them to non-chatters because they're not chatter, they're not too chatter specific. Yeah, although some of them are, yeah, I'm here for you before 9pm would look a bit sort of just a bit think, weirdly specific for somebody. I think, a, I think a lot of people would get that and be on board with it. <laughs> But the other exciting thing is, you know, we've done a little bit of um, work with Oz Harvest in the past and yep. the work that Oz Harvest is doing right now is um, even more important than it was. Um, each of these cards, and you get them in a pack of 10, um, allows Oz, ha Oz Harvest to deliver a meal to a vulnerable Australian. So a pack of 10 equals 10 meals. So um, apart from potential wildflowers, hashtag not guaranteed, um, 
you do also um, have the satisfaction of knowing that um, you are assisting in the great work of Oz Harvest, which is a very good way, a very good moment for me to bring in the great Ronnie Khan. Speaking um, of tech feats, now she's yeah, bringing I know. Get. Okay, so <laughs> I'm bringing her in. She's in three, two, one. Hello, Ronnie Khan. Oh my God, it works. I know, it's amazing. <laughs> you were right. I just had to click a button and now I'm with you. I know. Oh, no. it's, um, it's, look, this is the first time we've ever had a three-way, Ronnie, and uh, we're very pleased <laughs> that you were on board. I won't quote you out of context. <laughs> no, you're welcome to. Everybody else does, uh, Ronnie. Now, um, just before we talk to you about Oz Harvest and what you're doing right now, now, um, I am the only person without an Order of Australia in this conversation, I believe. Is that right? Mm. I mean, yeah. didn't want, Ronnie and I weren't going to say anything, but well, I thought I'd just a little bit awkward. Wasn't now. high on our agenda. <sighs> I thought I'd just <laughs> yeah, get to yeah, wear that little thing all the time. Well, some of us think they're too good to wear that little thing, Ronnie. Some of us <laughs> forget to pop it on when they go to big occasions. But anyway, I'm sure you'd never be so ungrateful or disrespectful, Ronnie. Um, <laughs> Now, um, for those who aren't familiar with Ros with Ros Harvest, oh my gosh, Ronnie, could you just give us a quick thumbnail of uh, the work that you do? Absolutely. So, pre-COVID, we did a little bit more than we're doing now. Pre-COVID, we rescued food, we educated, we taught all of us how not to waste food, we innovated, we engaged. Right now, in fact, we're actually doing all of that, but the focus is absolutely on food relief. We have 59 vehicles on the road. Wow. I'm so proud of my frontline people. They are just extraordinary, our drivers. We're delivering beautiful food. We are cooking. We've got our chefs in the kitchen making about five and a half thousand meals a week which is not what we used to do. We did it in a different way through team building. There's no team building at the moment, so our chefs are cooking. And that beautiful food is going out to vulnerable people, to organizations. As of next week, we also will have the capacity to actually deliver to people in isolation, to get food to people who need it most. That's what we are there for. And so what are you noticing about the demand at the moment over the last few weeks? So um, one of the organizations we work with that is a reference point that people contact for food relief tells us that the demand is up 100%. Mm, wow. So we know that generally we feed around 5 million Australians each year and we're looking at an extra million right now. Wow. I know. We've just, just, we just got a message through from Julie Finlay who says she volunteers for the Asylum Seekers Centre and Oz Harvest is a big supporter of their food bank. So thank you, she says. I know that um, a lot of our viewers will have um, heard of your work and be familiar with what you do. But wow, you're really confronting um, an amazing acceleration in demand. It's quite confronting, isn't it? Yeah, well, we've been deemed an emergency and vital service. And it just means that, for example, your beautiful cards that you've created for us to be able to deliver 10 more meals is phenomenal because that keeps our wheels going. That is exactly every dollar allows us to deliver two meals. So it's incredibly powerful. And I am so grateful. And thank you so much for creating them, Gwen, and for oh, yeah. choosing Oz Harvest as the charity because... 
you know, we can stop events, we can stop sporting matches, we can stop getting people together, but we can't stop feeding people. No, that's Thanks true. so much, Ronnie. Um, if we could grease any wheels in the business, they'd be yours. So thank you very much. Um, and thank you for being here and contributing to the interesting glasses collection. Um, <laughs> no, that's the reason I was chosen for sure. <laughs> I wish I could deny it. <laughs> now the big question of course is Crab was able to bring you into the conversation, but will she be able to oh, get you out? You might baby. be stuck here all night, Ronnie. I know it could get really awkward. <laughs> no, I'm in control of it, Ronnie. It's your job to get me out. You told me I don't have to do anything. That's true, Ronnie. I'm about to ice you. Thanks so much. Good night. Hey, um, somebody just asked before, how do they get the cards? Um, they're available on the website tonight from 8.30pm. And if you want them, um, you know how Gwen's merch disappears fast. So jump on there. Hi, this is Annabelle at a later date. Just dropping in in case you're listening to this delayed audio as a podcast and thinking, ah, oh, God, I've missed out on the card things because they probably went berserk after that live event. Well, they did, but Gwen Blake has actually set aside some to be in reserve for people who are listening to a delayed broadcast as a podcast. That is how absurd that woman is. So um, proceed with confidence to www.chat10looks3.com, go to the shop, and there's a bunch there that she's saved for you. I mean, they won't last forever. Be reasonable. Don't go and make a cup of tea and think about it for a couple of days. But um, you've got every chance in the world. Thank you, as you were. I'm just checking my messages from Gwen because it's usually about an hour. It's where she goes, no, you idiot, that's not on the website. <laughs> yeah, I know. Like, but you've got to come to, to Sales's house. I'll give you the address, right? <laughs> <laughs> and by the way, if you try to plant these seeds and they don't grow, contact Gwen at gwenblake.com to complain. What if I'm they, what if they pop up and they're not a, you know, whatever daisy she was. What if it's a cactus or daisy. something? <laughs> Yeah, I'll be ringing out and going, "Hello, are you Gwen Blake? I planted your daisies, yeah. and instead I've got a couple of cacti. <laughs> I've got non-clumping bamboo, and I can't see a thing. <laughs> non-clumping and clumping. What is the difference? I've never known. No idea. One of them's bad, and one of them's good, and I can't remember which is which. Now, the other reason I might be brain dead is because I interviewed this week, not one. Not two, but three Australian Prime Ministers. Oh, my God. So I had this great exchange with uh, Sales. We were supposed to be having a technical discussion on, oh, no. I think it was Wednesday, I can't remember. Anyway, and... Um, Can I just interrupt at this point and tell you... What's happened? God. So I'm holding this mic. I never hit record. Because we're doing a backup recording on this thing. Okay. You're um, an idiot. I know. Like you're an actual idiot. Okay, I might as okay. well just put this down because it's just a stunt thing. But I am recording on my iPhone because I was, luckily, I did a backup. Here's a lesson for beginners. It's good to be having, if you're recording something and you're a little bit incompetent or, like I said earlier, a little bit brain dead, have your backup options. Are you for real? You've yeah. got another recording device going as well. Yep. They call me Lee Prepared Sales. <laughs> So now she's actually done. With her other hand, she's like hand engraving <laughs> the transcript in Sanskrit on a grain of rice, just with a tiny, tiny little stylus. So it means this thing's just a prop, but I don't mind a prop like this because do you know sure. what I always think of when I've got something like this? You're just too good to be true. 
Can't take my eyes what? off you. Who gave you an excuse to do that? No one is the answer. I love it that now this entire... <laughs> Bronwyn Hayward just says, oh, Lee. <laughs> um, and everyone else is just going... Non-clumping is the bad one. <laughs> really? Clumping is controllable. I, everyone's shouting about the clumping. What does non-clumping mean? It just spreads, It means it, it runs and spreads and it, yeah, it's not good. Right. And people get cross about it because it, it sort of spreads into... My glasses are really crooked, aren't they? I can't even fix that. Sorry. Well, maybe it's your head. Um, yeah, I think it probably is. My ears have become lopsided <laughs> in, you know, in, in solitude um now i was getting somewhere with this oh yeah you on wednesday we were supposed to be having this meeting but you had interviewed (laughs) malcolm turnbull and it had gone for quite some time and then you'd got off the line from you know well no you you were actually social so i saw the ad so you were socially distantly interviewing him like you were at different ends of you know the Dapto racetrack or something. <laughs> and um, and then Malcolm, you thought he's kayak and I was on the shore. Oh, well, hi there, yeah. former prime minister. <laughs> You're like, yes. Well, it begins with water management in the Middle Ages. <laughs> um, anyway, and then so you just got out of that, and you had got out of that to the news that you were backing up for a Kevin Rudd interview. <laughs> yeah. Now, that is funny to um, anyone who's interviewed either of them, I suspect. Um, no wonder then, all I do on my weekends is sit around doing this. <laughs> it's all I've got left. It's true. You're a, you're a spent husk. Um, so, but the great thing was, I was on the phone to you and uh, you were like roaming around the ABC, which means that I could hear every tenth word because the ABC, like all great communications buildings, is just full of mobile phones like what's... But your main thing was that you'd forgotten to bring your lunch in. And so you were trying to find a chip machine to get lunch out of. Candy <laughs> jobs. How are you doing? And, um, and then you put your money in the chip machine and it ate your money. And you're just like, this is the worst. It thing. was one of those things where it was like, so I'm like, Malcolm's in the can. Got to get Kevin. Oh, God, we get some chips. And then I was talking on the phone to you and trying not to touch it because I didn't want to get coronavirus off the chip machine. And then um, it's just like, you know, the money goes and then the thing twists and then it's just like stuck. But I didn't want to rattle it because I didn't want to touch it. So I just... You didn't want to be like, you didn't want to touch it? That was your problem? It wasn't, could I get crushed like, you know, one in 10,000 Americans by a falling (laughs) food machine? And it wasn't like, I don't want to look like a complete wally. You know, I'm at the apex of this news organisation and other people might see me, you know, and just go, well, never, around, saw, just never saw Kerry O'Brien hip and shouldering that chip machine. No, <laughs> your issue was you didn't want to touch it. <laughs> I just didn't want to touch it. It was the COVID-19 thing. I didn't want anyway. to break the news to my boss that I got corona from the chip machine. Yeah, no, that's prudent. He'd be so, like, I told you to bring your food in from home. So her solution was to go walking around the building to find another chip machine and touch that a lot. So... <laughs> you did end up getting up. You outlaid another three dollars fifty or whatever, and got yourself a, you know, stressed my chips, and then interviewed Kevin Rudd, and then came home exhausted and woke up, and then interviewed Scott Morrison the next day. Yeah, you really earned your chips that week, didn't you, love? And <laughs> 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 um, well, look, that book actually now everybody is you know not allowed to talk about it because it's not published yet, but like. It's a big, thick book. It is a big, thick book. It's got a lot of value. Um, how was the interview? I mean, I've, I know you can't say too much, but I did see the uh, shorts of it. Well, 
It was good. Um, look, I mean, I know I'm preaching to the converted here, but I mean, I do love hearing from a politician when they're no holds barred, which is always after the, well, not always, but usually. Once they're genuinely the out of office, that's exactly. when it gets interesting, right? So that was, that was really interesting. Um, the other thing that's, so it's, I mean, obviously hearing all about the, the period of his, um, that week of his removal is really fascinating from his perspective. The other stuff that I found really um, very engaging and, and um, you know, good on him for talking about it is how depressed he became after yeah. he was dumped as opposition leader in 2010. And he talks very frankly about that. And it's quite, it's sort of hard to reconcile it because the Malcolm Turnbull, the public Malcolm Turnbull is so confident and, um, you know, seems like he's never had a moment of self-doubt. But in that, at that time, uh, privately, he was struggling enormously. And he talks about that very frankly as well. Um, yeah, yeah I mean, he's it's, said it's, before that they were very black times, but I've never read anything like his accountant's book of what that felt like or how bad it got. I was genuinely shocked by it, but also like very, I don't know, like political memoirs, particularly the ones that are written not long after leaving office, sometimes they're sort of all about score settling, and I guess there's a bit of that going on in this book, um, but also to be really frank about how um, bad that depression got, I think, is great. I think that lots mm. of particularly public figures, once they've, you know, recovered from, you know, a really hard time mentally, they think, well, that's over. I don't want to talk about it anymore. And so mm. I think it's really valuable when when people do talk about it because, yeah. You know, and I, I did ask him before the interview about how comfortable he felt about talking about it. Because, you know, sometimes writing about something can be easier than talking about it. Mm. Um, and usually with people, if I'm interviewing them about mental health issues or trauma, you, I like to ask what they're comfortable with because yeah. you don't want to tip them back over because you know the, the replaying of it and putting yeah. your head back into that space can be really difficult for or just people. assume you can't just assume that because somebody has talked about something that Once they've given the one. green light for it to become every cocktail party you know conversation exactly yeah. yeah but the book itself I mean obviously in a television interview there's no way you can go through particularly a book of that size everything in it and one of the things that was a bit of a shame but you know can't be helped is we didn't we don't touch on it all in the interview Malcolm Turnbull's pre-political life yeah. um and I mean he's had such an interesting life um yeah it's pretty and, bonkers yeah and I mean I'm also fascinated by in people's lives those sort of um juncture um moments where you've got a, a really clear moment in your life where there's a choice that can be made about whether you're going to go one way or another way um and he talks about at the end of that spy catcher trial how he had offers to go and work in new york or london in law and he could have had a really big career in law at that point and so it was this moment of is that what i'm going to do or am i going to do something different and he chose to mm. do something different and i think the end of the 2010 um after he was dumped as opposition leader um the question of whether he stays in politics or not was also one of those really life sort of pivotal moments um and so yeah i found i find all that really interesting there's some great anecdotes as well um yeah around things like i, I mean just revelations you haven't heard of so in the period but when he was not opposition leader and then not liberal party leader clive palmer came to see him to say hey i'm going to start a party the united australia party and i'd like you to be the leader can you imagine? I mean, like, half 
having that conversation with Clive Palmer, part of you would just be going, scribble, scribble, scribble for my future memoir, right? <laughs> You're just going, this can't be, this is ridiculous. Anyway, the thing about Turnbull, I think, is that he does have, like he has this intense sense of fun, you know, and kind of mischief, and that kind of does shine through in the book, you know, like it's quite a rollicking read because he's constantly, you know, I mean, all politicians take themselves seriously, of course, but he's got, he does have this little ability to just sort of poke fun at what's going on, which makes it quite a, you know, quite a, um, a racy read, I think. Quite, I enjoyed it. Yeah. I mean, I enjoy as well hearing, I find his mother quite a fascinating figure. Um, oh, yeah. And, uh, you know, it's, I've heard this story before and he's talked about it on, I think, Australian Story or possibly was maybe on Kitchen Cabinet with you with, um, you know, his mother up and leaving when he was, I think, eight or nine. And his father maintained this narrative to Malcolm that no child had ever been more loved by their mother than Malcolm was and that she wasn't leaving because, you know, she wasn't abandoning them. And he sort of concocted this whole thing so that Malcolm wouldn't feel abandoned. And then Malcolm said as an adult when he read, um, you know, letters that he'd father had written to her and, um, you know, realised and sort of put all the pieces together, he realised what a Herculean effort his father had made for him to try to keep all of that sort of point of view out of Malcolm's ballpark. I mean, the thing about um, Turnbull that I think is... Uh, we went and did a... Um, uh, a kitchen cabinet with him uh, and Lucy at their farm, um, which is in Scone. Scone! Always reminds me of the goodies. Scone! Um, and this was the farm that his dad had bought um, not long before he was killed in a light plane accident. And this is when Malcolm Turnbull was in his 20s. And he held on to the farm, even though I think it was quite expensive and difficult to do so, buried his father there kept all of his things, like clothes and boots and hat and everything. And then when his mother died, he shifted all of his mother's things to the same house. And so the whole place is like a bit of a bit of a shrine to his parents who were never really together for much of the life that he could remember. So that's quite, I find that just so moving. I mean, in... Mm. I remember in the little in the hallway of his house there was a little sideboard that his mother had had when she was living in Philadelphia, um, and it still had like the subway or like the tram tokens that were still in it. You know when yeah wow. when she was living in Philadelphia, everything was sort of completely preserved. Anyway. I think it's good when politicians write books. It's good when they write thoughtful books as well. And I think one of the... I mean, there's an explosion a minute in the book. Like, it's full of stories and revelations, and you're just like... But also, I think the valuable thing about it is it's sort of... It's a really... Because it's long, but it's a really good insight into, you know, what that office is like. And because he's such a um, policy nerd too, you get a really... Like, quite a thoughtful summation of a whole bunch of kind of foreign policy areas and oh yeah um, and all sort of threaded India. with these sort of interactions with foreign dignitaries and leaders which is quite um, I must say intriguing. listening listening to the interview um the other day when we recorded it which is on on Monday night by the way for anyone who wants to see it um I did think how great it would be to have a killing season kind of documentary where you then when he says you know Matthias says 
you've got to do X, Y, Z to then be able to cut straight to Corman to hear his take on it. But I don't yeah. know that, I mean, you know, you want, you need all of them to do it. You need Abbott, you need Credlin, you need everybody, you need Rupert Murdoch, you need like everyone to do it to make it work. And I mean, I just don't know that they would. Yeah, I don't know. It's, um, it's just, it's been a while since we've had, you know, it, it feels like a sort of reopening of a whole bunch of old issues that have been kind of superseded by contemporary events, but to look back at it with a bit of distance and get this incredibly full-throated version of it from a central protagonist is really, it's really interesting. It just... Um, it's hard sometimes. Sorry. It's hard sometimes um, as well to fathom that this is all one government. This is all the coalition yeah. government. So... <laughs> Since 2013, it's one government. It seems really hard because it, it, I mean, the Abbott government, the Turnbull government, the Morrison government, they all feel like really just their own distinct sort of periods, don't they? But it is actually the one government. Yeah, so you've got the Rudd Gillard government and then the Abbott, Turnbull, Morrison government. And they've, that, that's two goes at government by two parties, and so much has happened. It just seems like mm. decades worth of action anyway mm, action in yeah um though we just had a message through from um i noticed a little while back from rach riddell who points out do you remember when malcolm turnbull was the pat was the um was the panic word of this podcast <laughs> the safe word of this podcast <laughs> what did we need a safe word for i can't even remember I've got, a, I've got a dim memory of it but i think we were talking about no, wasn't it, was it that stupid time when we went to see Fifty Shades of Grey and we were talking about what <laughs> the safe remember. word would be? I'm pretty I sure remember. we were joking that Malcolm Turnbull would be the safe word. I don't know how we came up with that, but um, obviously Rach has not forgotten. Thank you. There you go. I can't remember anything about <laughs> I it. I don't remember that. Oh, dear. Oh, so hey, good. So the one thing that I have... Um, watched in the past couple of weeks since we last spoke is a tv show called unorthodox that's on netflix okay um have you seen it people have been talking about it okay it's um it's only four episodes probably which is why i've watched it uh it's it's fiction it's not a doc or anything and it is basically about a uh young um orthodox jewish woman in um new york who, mm. and I'm not giving anything away because this is established within about the first 15 minutes of episode one, who runs away, who, who runs away from her husband and her community. She's about 19 or 20 and right, okay. runs away, flees to Berlin to try to get away and start a new life. And it's it's basically just the difficulty of cutting the ties to something that you've grown oh, right. up in and been very steeped in. Um, and it was funny because watching it, the first three episodes, I felt like, yeah, this is okay. I could take it or leave it. And then I thought it was good, like I kept watching on, but I wasn't like, oh, this is riveting. I can't wait to watch more. But the yeah. fourth episode, um, I don't know what it had done in the first three episodes, but I just bawled my eyes out in episode four. It was like it had just wow. built up all this tension and emotion and then it just like was really just came out of nowhere. It was one of those ones that just crept up on me and then I was like, wow, that's amazing. In fact, I noticed now the comments are just filling up with people going, unorthodox, ah. it's amazing, it's amazing, blah, blah, blah. Um, I was just thinking, 
who even are you? I can't believe that you got to the like three quarter mark of anything, still thinking it was sort of a bit, mm. but still persisted with it. Normally you've binned it by that stage. Yeah, I know. I again, like all I can put it down to is my currently unusual behaviour, um, and it just felt like yeah, I could watch this, and it's not requiring too much of me, and it's sort of interesting, and um, yeah. And then all so, of a sudden you're just inconsolably weeping. Yeah, um, but it's very, uh, it's really well acted. I mean, I think the the girl who's the lead actor, who's not anyone I'd ever seen before, um, she's fantastic and she embodies, you just get that sense of her desire to sort of break free of it, but also the fear and the just difficulty of doing that. Um, so, yeah, it's it's great. And it's based on a true story, apparently. All right. Um, yes, there's, there's a lot of comments on Unorthodox. Um, my entire family is in the backyard in a tent right now, oh. FYI. Yeah. Having a sleep, we, sleep out there. Yeah. An adventure. Yep. So that's why it's so quiet. They're out there being in a tent. <laughs> now, it's like, I don't know how long that will be diverting. Possibly not that much longer, so it'll get a lot louder in here. But anyway, it's working at the moment. See how um, it goes. One of my big challenges, actually, in the last, um, I mean, it's not hardly a big challenge, but like, in terms of consuming culture and stuff, the big issue has been, you know, what can we find for the kids to watch and do? What can we watch together, you know, um, as a family? And um, we've always been quite into Master Chef, although you know we're just always looking for an alternative to 7:30. <laughs> but oh my God, the language! Love, I'm really going to have to. There's like there's a lot more swearing in MasterChef this year than you know than you get at on 7:30. So I normally get them to watch your political interview and then you know go off for a side serve cussing <laughs> with uh, Gordon Ramsay. Um, but it's been really interesting just like sorting through even like more than usual just thinking of movies, old movies that we liked when we were kids, or you know finding things that are appropriate. And I've had a few misfires. Got them to watch High Society because um, my daughter's in a real musical. Oh yeah, you what know. Did you think? Mm, nobody really got into it. I'm like, mm. guys, come on! No. Mm. Okay. No. Um, but um, had a lot of success with uh, Dirty Rotten Scoundrels. Bit oh. Of, uh, why wouldn't you have Payne? success with that? Yeah. It's cracking. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's um, it, yeah, a lot of success with that. Who was wasn't um, I accusing? Now that I've started this anecdote, I'm about to realise oh, it shouldn't be shared. But wasn't I accusing during the week somebody of acting like Ruprecht from Dirty Rotten Scoundrels? Was that with you? Yes, you were, and I can't remember who it was, but it's somebody. Well, we can possibly we can't possibly say now, but yes, you were. I can't remember who it was though. I can't remember who it was either, but I claimed that they'd come over all Ruprecht like. Yeah. That is a very, very funny scene, don't Great you? Great character, yeah, absolutely. And it was just knowing that that Ruprecht scene was coming up and then watching the kids, you know, getting into it was just hilarious. And it's but, just um, your classic of, sorry, but it's just your classic of something that you and I have talked about before, which is um, the importance of the straight man. Because Michael Caine is yeah. such a great straight man, and it must have been really difficult, I reckon, when Steve Martin was there being so hilarious oh. to not feel upstaged and like you had to do more. But he just doesn't. He, he just and it just adds. To, I mean, they're both just superb. It's such a funny film. Um, Catherine has just um, made a comment which is very very funny. Um, because when we were watching the other night when you were interviewing the Prime Minister and you asked him the question about, like, well, what about if you just want to read in a park? Like, you know, when are you going to be able to read a book in a park again? And my daughter, um, who was recently 
busted by the cops for doing exactly <laughs> that. It was like, yes, finally someone asked the relevant question. <laughs> anyway, Catherine wants to know, were you thinking of my daughter when you asked that question? <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's funny. You know what I was? Yeah. Sometimes real life does creep in when, you, when you're just reaching for examples off the top of your head. There was one that made yeah. my one of my friends, Rani, who used to live in the same apartment block as me, laugh and laugh one time, which was... Um, We'd had a sort of dispute where there was a couple of visitor parks out the front of our place yeah. and somebody in the apartment block decided in the sort of body, you know, body corporate email, yeah. well, what we should do is spend some money getting some wheel clamps and anyone who parks in our visitor spaces should be wheel clamped. And Rani and I and a few others were like, well, you can't just take the law into your own hands and just go around clamping the wheels of people because you don't like where they've parked, even if it is in the wrong place. Anyway, because it was front of mind, Bob Brown was on the show that night and he was talking about, it was when that Japanese whaling boat was off the coast of wherever whaling and you right. have the little like sort of greeny boats go and they try and stop yeah, the Japanese yeah. ship from whaling. Yeah. Um, and <laughs> Bob Brown was saying, well, you know, if there's something going on that's wrong, it doesn't matter if, you know, the little boat's breaking the law or something's going on that's wrong, well, then you've got to stop it. And I just, the example that came to my mind was the no, wheel clamping. No. I, don't, I literally said... Well, you know, I might not like where some people park, but I can't just go around wheel clamping them, for example. <laughs> anyway, when I came off air, Rani rang me and said she was just screaming, like, what are you doing? But it's just the one sort of example that sprang to mind. And, and much as with the park and odds, that was just like forefront of my mind as a, oh as a you know, as a thing that people can't do. <laughs> Well, happy to provide you with some real-life research. Elliot, very Elliot and Kate got anything going on that I could mine for use this week? Oh, well, one of them keeps breaking into my social media accounts. <laughs> oh, no. God, just wheel He's, not him, I guess. He's not still doing no, it, is he? No, he's pulled his head right in. Yeah. <laughs> oh, Sea Shepherd, someone said that's right. That was the name of the boat, the Sea Shepherd. Yeah, well done. Um, I, Professional just, wheel clamping. Just while we're talking about things that are you know suitable for children, because I know people are actually now at the point of just going absolutely berserk and you know running out of things to do um, beyond you know improving activities like you know craft and stuff. Um, Audrey actually today um, uh, got a packet of uh, googly eyes and she's uh, working through the house just putting random googly eyes on things so you just be like whoa that toaster's <laughs> looking at me like it's, it's quite cool <laughs> if a bit unnerving but um, we have been watching a lot too of this comedy sketch sort of posse called Studio C. Oh yeah. They're from, um, they're American, like, it's their university, I think they're Brigham Young University or somebody, um, you know, just a sort of improv group that are just incredibly funny and they're super well resourced now that they've got their own TV show, but it's all on YouTube. Um, but it's really, really funny and very family friendly, so you're not watching it just going, I'm going to have to jump in if there's some sort of, right. you know, inappropriate concepts. They've got lots of funny Harry Potter gags but that's interesting so clean and they're from Brigham Young are they Mormons right I, I don't know I haven't checked their underwear or anything but like they are I mean they're really it's not kind of like oh lovely family friendly humor it's really funny like they're hilarious and the way that the first thing I saw of theirs was Audrey showed me the entire um cast this of this comedy group doing a, um, a version of um, non-stop from Hamilton, mm -hmm. like just, there she is, the person in question. Which she flicked over to me. Um, and, um, I mean, it's, it's 
apparently it was spontaneous. It's very, very funny and fantastic. But that just kind of got me into the wormhole of watching everything um, that they've made. It's just very, very funny. So if you want um, something that's appropriate for, like, even Kate's been watching it, she's seven, and it's very funny and not, you know, you don't get any kind of nasty moments. Okay, like, that's Whoa, good to know. Clap the hands over the ears. There's a lot of good quality internet um, stuff oh. that people have been making um, during yeah. this crisis. One of the best is that BBC sports commentator. He's got oh. no sport to commentate on, so he's commentating he's real life. Immortal. He God, that is guy is so good. Nailing it. The, the latest one with his two dogs um, fighting over a toy and one of them seizing it from the other. Oh God, they're just so good. I love it when he's just commentating things like people crossing the road or just sort of jostling for position in a shop. Oh, it's fantastic. He's so good. You are? When he said my hair was nice. Oh, yeah. Audrey's now reading the remarks um, and she's just noticing that somebody said her hair looks nice. Oh, it does. darling. Yeah. Yeah, we also succumbed to the lockdown um, supermarket hair dye. It worked out pretty well, actually. Very good. Yeah. Right then. Well, uh... Um, I've got one other thing to tell you about that I really uh, enjoyed that I read. Yeah. Um, I oh hey I read. <laughs> I was oh, actually on the way back from that very walk where um, Audrey got um, uh, held up by the cops for reading in a park. I picked this up off the footpath. Someone oh, was, yeah. um, you know, just left it. Everybody's decluttering. Like there's a bit of that going on. So there is. Somebody was Lee salesing their book collection, and I picked it up. I read that years ago. It's good. Yeah. I mean, I like Anne Tyler, so yeah, it's good. Right. You see, I don't think I'd ever read any Anne Tyler, um, and I know that she's like dinner at the homesick restaurant and the accidental tourist and all of that. But like, she's one of the Anne's, isn't she? I mean, there's too many Anne's. Uh, they all need to change their name. You might recall at Christmas, I got oh, I recall. because I yeah. started reading Anne Patchett's book, and I was like, I don't like this, and I, I like Anne Patchett, and then I realised, oh, I'm thinking of Anne Tyler. Um, yeah, and you like Commonwealth, so you do like Anne Patchett, really. I didn't love Commonwealth. I thought it was okay. I did, what's well, the one with the opera it. singer? You, Bel Canto. You lied about it at the time, then. No, I said it was okay. Oh, just right, right. okay. Anyway, and um, then Anne yeah. Rice is the one with the vampires. Isn't she, she is Anne Enright's the and Irish Anne one. The Irish one. Yeah, mm. yeah. There's a lot anyway, of Anne Sales I've, is my mother. That's right. <laughs> And Don't her, get her, her mixed her up with the other. Irresistible. Yeah. Well, anyway, I enjoyed that. It was good. Um, it's worth every penny. I didn't pay for it. Um, <laughs> I'll pop it out on my doorstep. Oh, speaking of which, I had this hilarious incident with the Turnbull book where um, the kids were doing footpath art on the, um, on the footpath up and down the street. And I was sitting on an old stepladder out the front reading the Turnbull book, which I'd just, like, signed a million NDA agreements to not you know let fall into the wrong hands and the kids were I don't know yelling for me to come and see them up the road so I put the book back down on the stepladder ran up the road and then when I was about 200 meters up the road turned around and there was like this couple walking oh. along and obviously it was out in front of my house and looked like it was like please <laughs> and so they picked it up and I'm like oh god imagine no. thank god nobody got it the, um, yeah, no, they didn't take it. it my um, my Turnbull book's signed, so um, yeah. I'll have to be careful not to send that one down to the recycling. Yeah, that could go down very badly. Um, <laughs> uh, and I will leave you, but the last thing that I read that um, just made me laugh and laugh and made I just loved it was a, um, a profile in The New Yorker mm. um, by Michael Shulman. Actually, just a straight interview with Fran Leibovitz. Leibovitz. 
Yeah. And she's just the greatest character. And she's, you know, a, a person who has lived in New York and just is a champion. She's a writer and kind of describes herself as a lazy person who doesn't go out anyway. So it doesn't make all that much difference to her. But, like, just her um, her commentary about New York in this era. She's just, like, a fantastically um, bizarre and wonderful character. Um, he asked her, how have you been spending your time in self-isolation? And she says... Well, it depends how much you, you count the time you spend sulking. Let me put it this way. When they compile a list of the heroes of this era, I will not be on it. Mostly I've been <laughs> reading. Also taking phone calls from people who for the last 10 years have told me that they hate to talk on the phone. She has no devices. And I've spent a lot of time thinking about how to think about this because it's a very startling thing to be my age, I'm 69, and have something happen that doesn't remind you of anything else. I thought that is a really good way to describe the present mm. period, isn't it? Mm. Having something happen that doesn't really remind you of anything else. Anyway, it's a very funny interview. The uh, <laughs> I'm just thinking of my grandkids going, um, no, no, what did you do in the great coronavirus crisis? A lot of these kids. <laughs> <laughs> Look, there's no right way of handling this or a wrong way of handling this, but if there were... <laughs> definitely edging towards wrong i know a friend gave me a um a nudge towards this app called acapella where you can do music you can lay like tracks of yourself like one on top of the other so i did like a nine track um thing i just saw this seriously (laughs) before we went on air i just finally just thought i'll have a look at that thing i'm like oh my god it's quite amazing i think i'll be spending a lot of time wasting on that app it's yeah it's anyway Anyway. i just love that in in the midst of the tracks you can hear probably one of your boys yelling mom yeah (laughs) they were like shut out of the piano room i was like kids put a what do you put a movie on mommy mommy pretends to make drum noises with her mouth (laughs) mommy's in here being deranged children run along (laughs) (laughs) oh dear all right then all right. Well, thanks everybody for joining us. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think you did join us. It seems to have worked. I mean, how long can our run of luck continue? I don't know. But uh, <laughs> it seems very quite clear. It seems like the audio seems clear. And don't say that, because then it'll turn out that you know. Oh, I hope my one backup recording has actually worked. <laughs> oh, jeez. Lucky I'm in charge of the tech, eh? <laughs> All right. Toots, catch you later. All right. Good night, everybody. See, ya. See ya, everybody. Are you enjoying Chat 10 Looks 3? If you do enjoy our company, uh, you can interact on a just a dizzying array of online platforms. You can go to our website, www.chat10looks3.com, where you'll have the, all the show notes from every show we've ever done. Thanks, Brenda. Uh, there's also um, a little link through to uh, a bookshop called Bedside Table, where you can purchase, if you'd like, any of the books that we've talked about in the podcast. You can also find merch if Gwen has been up to her terrible tricks and um, putting together diabolically hilarious merchandise. Can you make this a bit snappier? It's going to take us over the 30 minutes. Oh, my God. Are you for real? (laughs) Anyway, uh, you can catch us on Instagram, on Twitter, or join the Facebook group, which is, well, that's just uh, something um, completely else indeed. (laughs) 